This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hey, Adam, welcome to the Leaders Lab. Hey, Ken, thanks so much. Uh, excited to be here on the show with you. We're excited to have you. Um, you know, you've got a, a quite a background uh, ranging from, you know, uh, ultra sports, uh, you know, business. Can you talk to me a little bit about your, I always like to start with kind of the upbringing. I like to know the kind of story of the entrepreneur and of the leader and maybe kind of walk us through your, your early days. Sure. Happy to do that. So, um, well, I've been in business, actually. I first started up my first business at the age of 11. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like 30 plus years. Um, and I, I, it's interesting because at the age of 11, Ken, I went through what we, what I would call a midlife crisis, <laughs> just kind of a bit much earlier on. Sure. Um, <laughs> so what happened to me at the age of 11? So I didn't particularly have a great childhood upbringing. I didn't particularly have a great one, unfortunately. I was through the foster care uh, system. I lost my hair through a condition called alopecia, which is a common form of hair loss. And I literally just lost all my hair, woke up one day, and it literally just came out in handfuls when I was 10 years old. And that was kind of like the beginning journey for me. So I, I was so ashamed about the way I looked. I had to wear like a baseball cap when I went to school. So when I'm wearing my uniform and stuff, I wear a baseball cap. Even when I was going out in public, I was just so ashamed about the way I looked. And so um, at the age of 11, I um, I was encouraged through uh, my father to get into, into distance running. And so I literally had zero experience in distance running i didn't i wasn't i wouldn't class myself as an athlete back in the day mm -hmm. um and the the reason for that ken is actually i i was actually suffering from i was an asthma sufferer so <laughs> you're probably thinking to yourself like why would a 11 year old boy mm -hmm. that suffers from asthma want to get into distance running that's completely delusional right right that's craziness right so i um I turned up one day, I got down, to the, got down to the athletics track. I didn't go with anyone. I went on my own at 11 years old. Um, I didn't particularly have a lot of, um, what's the word I was looking for? Mentors and support structures like my parents. They weren't really there for me. I was just kind of like there on my own type of thing. So I... Um, I got uh, so I went down to the athletics track, and I, I remember when I when I actually appeared at the at the athletics track, and I got to the counter, and the counter looked like it was about twelve feet tall, literally twelve feet tall. That's kind of what it looked like as an eleven year old, right? And then this lady kind of like peered over, and she <laughs> she's like, "Hey, can I help you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm interested in potentially joining a running club." She's like, "Oh, great, fantastic. What's your experience?" I went nothing she went okay what do you what event do you want to do i was like well i was been told that i should do distance running she went great uh she's i said but there's a snag i went what's the snag and she she and, and i told her i was like i'm an asthma sufferer she said don't worry about that 
let me introduce <laughs> you to one of the coaches. I'm like, okay, no worries. Anyway, so I started walking down to the athletics track, okay? Because um, it's about a, a couple of hundred meters from the clubhouse to the athletics track. And I started seeing all these runners, like they were sprinters, they were field track and field and track athletes, distance runner. And I already started getting imposter syndrome. And I started making a judgment in my mind, thinking I'm not good enough. And I'm not, you know, I'm ne never going to be as good enough as these people. You start creating those like negative thought processes that were going through your mind, right? So the first um, three to six months were a real struggle for me. Like I could barely run 100, 150 meters without really kind of getting out of breath, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a real struggle for me. Like it was so difficult for me. But as I started to, as I, as my lungs started to adapt, and so as I, as my body started to adapt, as my mindset started to change, my coach, uh, who at the time, what I loved about my coach is that he, back in the day, of course, he, he had won his trophies, medals, and was a track champion, but he could turn someone like me, General Joe Public, into a champion. That's what he, that's what he was claimed to fame for. And in that process, I'd actually met my training partner at the time. He is the current world and Olympic world champion at the moment in five and 10,000 meters. Wow. So I got trained with him, right? So his name is Samo Farah. So he was knighted and, uh, for his services uh, to the country. But he, um, he's a world five and 10,000 meters. So he was my training buddy. And we actually had very similar backgrounds. So it was interesting because he came from Somalia originally. He didn't really know that much English. And, and the difference was, is that he was bullied and I was bullied. So we had very similar, even though we didn't go to the same school, we came from kind of similar backgrounds, poor backgrounds, that kind of stuff. But what was really interesting about this, Ken, is that we used our, we used our, um, I suppose our, we, not weaknesses, but our experiences in being bullied and uh, being introverted and not being so confident. And we use that to compete against each other. So we egged each other on. And during the winter during the winter months, when it was like, you know, minus five Celsius outside, which would be which would be generally be very, very cold. Hmm. While all the other kids were playing video games inside in the nice and warm, me and my training buddy were out in cold, you know, wearing shorts and t-shirt, putting in the training, right? And literally, I remember there was the running track, and at the back of the running track, there was this big boggy muddy field and we would go running around this boggy muddy field there was be hardly any flood lit, uh, floodlights and literally just go run around this field like just for the sake of it right <laughs> as you do um but effectively after about nine months of training my asthma had completely disappeared wow. completely disappeared uh and within about 18 months i would eight i would say probably 18 months to two years I'd started, you know, I'd started to get really good, like really good. And they got to the point where I started representing a county and almost a national level uh, as, as a runner. My asthma had disappeared. And I used that as a platform to effectively improve my confidence, improve because I was kind of introverted, I, I, you know, because I didn't have those support mechanisms. But I used running as a as a propulsion, as a momentum, as a platform to drive me forward in life, mm. you know. 
And at that very same time, at the age of 11, 11 was a very special age for me, Ken. Um, about three or four months after I'd got into running, I'd actually start up my first business. I'll quickly share with you how that worked. So literally, I was I was walking there. We were uh, living near, close to a nature reserve. I just kind of like was just bumming around as some kid would do, just, you know, glaring at the stream or whatever it is. I just started walking. I started seeing all these golf balls appearing in the in the stream. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And uh, and so the next day I, I went back with an empty bucket, actually, and I started foraging through bushes, jumping in streams. Uh, and I, I didn't have, you know, money for like proper like boots to mm-hmm. jump in the water. It would just be like shoes and socks off, like go bare feet in type of thing and go up to your ni- knees in water and stuff and beyond. And so I started collecting these golf balls. And what I would do is then I would walk towards the fairway around hole 15, hole 16. And I remember the very first time this happened to me. And so I've kind of like, you know, walking around the edge of the fairway. And then I've got these two old guys coming, uh, running over to me in like in sheer panic. And they're like saying to me, they're like, Hey, they, you know, cause they don't want to hit me in the head with a golf ball. That would be kind of embarrassing. Right. <laughs> and so, and so what, what happened is they came over to me and I'm like, Hey, we came over cause we were concerned about your safety. I'm not, and they're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I click, I find and collect lost golf balls. And they're like, huh, really? And they like check their bag and they're like down to one or two golf balls. Cause these guys don't have very good handicaps. Right. Sure. They're, they're, they're like, they're like average age of like 74 years old, right? <laughs> yeah, so they're yeah. not like, they're not like kind of like uh, Greg Norman or anything. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? So, um, so they're kind of like, uh, so they're like, huh, it, 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 by any chance, are you selling the golf balls? They go, and I'm like, huh, never really thought about that. And I was like, yeah, sure, no worries. And then we started to get into the set and into the, into the skill of sales and negotiation. And so over a period of a short period of time, I started doing a little bit of research. I obviously, I know that with golf balls. Now, if you're a golf fan listening in, okay, what's important is condition, mm. okay, brand, okay. And then, and then there were a few other skills that I learned when I opened my first business. The, oppor- the ability to walk away and say no. Mm. So, you know, when you're going to get a good deal or a raw deal, if you're walking away from a deal, it's going to be good for both parties. So I'd learned the trick of sales negotiation. Like I knew I had, I, I needed, I had something that they needed, right? And I also knew that if I ha- hang around hole 15 and they got three holes left and they've got like maybe one ball left. Yeah, so you're okay, figuring that out. That panicking. Yeah, you're figuring out supply and demand and the timing of it as well. All it, and, and you're 11 years old, right? 11 when this happened? Right, right. It seems like it's all just coming instinctively it's kind of crazy i mean to to i mean especially the like i sort of get like hey there's some balls here maybe i can i can sell them but the intellect of "Mm, let's set up let's set up right here you know it's almost like let's give them the drink right before they're you know dying of thirst right like it's it's smart absolutely and you know i remember the first time i'd i remember the first time i did this right so i goes home to my mom with like all of these bags of coins like pockets of coins. She's like, 
where do those coins come from? Like, what did you do? Yeah, Thinking that I stole kind of rob, rob, yeah, exactly. Like I robbed yeah. a bank or something. And it's like, and then I told her the story and she's got like super proud. Cause I gave her some of the money so that we could, you know, like effectively buy groceries effectively. Mm-hmm. Cause we didn't have that much money. So, you know, and she was like super proud. And so that was kind of like where I really caught my appetite for entrepreneurship and leadership and things like that. So that's kind of where it all started for me. How did, did you stay? Um, well, obviously, if you guys stayed training, how long did you and most stay training partners? How long were you in uh, running? And then when did your time start becoming more occupied with business and, and less with sport? Yeah, sure. So probably around 17, 18 years old. So probably mm-hmm. a good five, six years, I would say. Um, and, 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 and at that time, you have to start making some serious decisions. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you'll know this like uh, with uh, you you know, your kids and stuff, when you get to school and you finish, you want to go to college or whatever it is. It's kind of like when you get to college and you become a serious athlete, you then have to start making some serious decisions. Do you want to go down the sports arena? You know, the sports field, if you're highly talented or whatever it is, or do you go to stop and open your own business or grab a job or whatever it is, or apprenticeship or whatever. So you have to start making some big boy, big girl decisions. Right. And so that was the decision where I had to stand. I I decided that I needed to go off and study, unfortunately, purely because of my background, you know, because I came from a very poor background. I lived off the state for a, for a long period of time and I was just kind of sick and tired of things. Yeah. So, you know, it you know it was just kind of fortunate. I was actually <laughs> when I was at the age of sixteen, my first my first proper job was working at McDonald's, you know, just to pay for college fees and go into university and stuff. I I did that off my back. No sure. one supported me in that financially, so I had to really kind of find my way in very early on in life. But you know, there's a lot of le- uh, life lessons to be learned. I think there's also this, I've never talked about it on here before, uh, because it, it was kind of an easy decision in hindsight, but, uh, I ended up doing some boxing when I was in the U S army and, and I did all right with it. It was kind of at a local level. And it's when I was stationed in, in Berlin, Germany, and these kind of local fights turned into me getting orders at some point or the possibility of getting orders. I don't remember if I actually got them or they were going to issue them, but it didn't really matter because what I knew was I had taken this thing about as far as I was going to take it. So like, even though I was winning my fights, I was, I mean, seeing double in the locker room after a fight that I'd won, you know what I mean? Like I, right. I, I it yep. didn't feel like I was winning a lot of these fights and, and competition was only going to get stiffer because now I'd be fighting other people on orders and I was already fighting different countries, but the competition was just going to go way up. And I think there's this line for, I guess, for everybody where, of course, you want to chase your dreams and all that, right? But I also think, especially when it comes to athletics, because it's a little bit different, it is truly measurable. Like, I was never going to have the footwork. It, I, I tried, like, everything I could do. And sure. same with what you do, there's a certain level of speed you're going to hit as a runner that then Mo separates, right? Then, then, then it's Absolutely. Mo, and he's going to become a world champion. And right. that line, even though it might only be a 2% difference, is all the difference in the world when it goes from being an amateur to being like a world-class athlete, right? And, and so that decision for me was like really easy. Like when they even started talking about it, I was like, no, I need to go back and do my job and like move forward right. and have a career. Or, because there's nothing worse to me than seeing an athlete chase 
a dream that they're probably never going to catch. And then you see them into their thirties and stuff. And it's like, right. Like life has kind of gotten by them, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, it's interesting because if you're a soccer player, if you're an American football player, if you're an athlete, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, you've got all uh, loads of people that are doing the, doing the same. And, and the thing is, it's such a small percentage of people that go through to the top, right? I mean, yeah. it's so mini- like so tiny. Yeah. And so then the risk is, is that do you get injured? Then you're kind of screwed, right? You've got no education to fall back on. So when you're really young, it's kind of like, yeah, okay. It's a, there's an element of risk involved, right? So, uh, you know, same for you. You made a conscious decision and it was the same for me. I made a conscious decision. Do I regret it? No. Right. I would have stayed the... I would have, I would have, I would have made the same decision. So at the end of the day, you know, you just don't know. You just don't know. So as you go off to school and you're funding yourself through school, what are some of those other, you know, what, what's next after that? What are some of the early mm. career, you know, business decisions or, or paths that you took from there? Well, I think, I think, uh, from there, like, when I got to uh, when I <laughs> when I got to the age of eighteen, I mean, I'm like kind of buzzing. Like, you know, when you're an eighteen year old uh, man, okay, very young, highly energetic. I was doing a, I was doing a full time studies, a full time job, and I'd opened up my own first part time massage therapy clinic as well. So <laughs> I didn't really have a lot of time in the day to even breathe, like. Because for me, I always had this mindset, and maybe it's the same for you, but I always had this mindset of the harder you work, the the, the bigger re- the reward. I mean, that's I have a very different outset now, but back in the day, that's what I thought, right? So I always was into, um, uh, what was going to say? I, I, I always loved helping people because I didn't get help myself. So I love to help people. That's kind of like some of my core values right i really genuinely love to authentically help people and so i got into uh my big dream was working on cruise ships mm-hmm. you know uh working as a as a as a physical trainer and uh doing uh, uh sports biomechanics and, and 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 massage therapy and that kind of stuff and i did that right so i i did that i, I i'd gone out of uh gone out 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 of england and my regular cruise ship was out of new york and then to bermuda that was my regular that was my regular cruise so i did that wasn't what it was made out to be and then hey what like we started again we start from scratch we build it up and then i ended up uh, getting into fitness uh, opening up my first business, turn it into a six-figure business and stuff like that. And just got a little bit, um, what's the word? I, I got, I was really, uh, and I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet because because I was very good at what I did. I started writing courses for chiropractors, chiropodists, personal trainers. And what their biggest problem was is their clients were going to them and they were getting injured right they were getting they were they were suffering from pain so you know you get your average office worker that suffers from lower back pain because he's been sitting on his ass for all day right um they you know and so i i then started writing courses and then i started teaching the trainers how to get their clients out of pain so um so that was a very successful career but then i was just kind of a little bit delusional about where the industry was going. And then I, I started having it. I had this massive epiphany, Ken. And it was interesting because the epiphany was I woke up one day 
And I said to myself, there's got to be more to life. I'm literally destined. Like, what is the big legacy piece of puzzle here? Where is the big, um, what's the big picture here? What's the big impact? What am I making here? And I just felt like I, I could do more with my life. And I felt like there was a, a disconnect between what I was actually doing to what I really wanted to do. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if you, you can no, relate No, it absolutely all. does. But what, what was that feeling? Just Was it the feeling of I've accomplished something, but it doesn't feel like much? Or, I mean, what, what was the – was it just a discontent? What was the feeling? I think my feeling was is that I felt lost and confused at the yeah. time. Yeah, I just like I literally lacked clarity. I didn't really understand the direction I was going in. in was there a bit of? Like, um, I'm sorry. Was there a bit of? Um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but you know, you were talking about, um, you know, hey, the harder I work, then the better I'll do, right? The more money I'll make, which, you know, I was raised the same way. Um, you know, we didn't. You know, I, I think you had uh, maybe tougher economic circumstances, but ours weren't like awesome, and, you know a lot of those preconditioned kind of money things like money doesn't grow on trees. You, you, you know, you get what you work for, like things like that. Right. And, sure. and so it's sort of like, well, the input equals the output, right? If I, if I bust mm. my ass for eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, then I'm going to get that, mm. which I don't think is a bad thing to learn. I, I but mm. I also think it's based in scarcity because the antithesis of it is, well, if I don't bust my ass, there won't be anything, right? Which is which is the same thing, but it, it, but mm -hmm. it's scarcity driven. And so, I, I'm just wondering when you get to this point, if it's what's all this hard work for, right? Like, what, why, why don't I feel better, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I mean, it goes back to understanding what is your purpose, right? Right. What is like? It's kind of like having that conscious uh, that that kind of questioning your subconscious mind. And you'll be like to say to yourself, you're like, what's the point in this? Like, yeah. where, why am I getting up? Like, I'm working with clients that I enjoy working with. But then when it comes to realization where you feel like you can offer the world much more, yeah. you then start questioning your inner critic. You start questioning your subconscious. And you really start to question and you start to try to find answers. That was where I was at. Right. And I really had questions, but I couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out the answers. So that was, and, and that was, it was a real struggle for me. It was a bit like going through quicksand. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It literally felt like going through quicksand. Um, you know, so, and then it took about, I reckon it probably took a, a good 18 months to really try to find my feet. But more importantly, I was trying to discover what my unique, what, what, what was my uniqueness? Yeah, what's what, your what, what, gift? What's the thing you're going to give, right? Exactly. What is, the, what is my genius effectively, yeah. right? What, what do I bring to the game? Um, and so it was through the help of uh, a coach that I'd met, actually, and they had really kind of like got to one, learn about me as a friend. And then they was able to kind of, I suppose, demystify and, and bring it all together for me. And, that, and then that's kind of got me to where I'm at today which is in the world of business strategy, which is in the world of leadership development and things like that, you know? So it's kind of like, for me, I'm, I'm in a happy place now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm in a, I'm in a happy place. I'm, I'm, I'm humble, uh, but I'm in a happy place. And 
when you get to when you've been in business for a period of time that I've been in, money isn't a money isn't my driver, mm. my purpose, my authenticity, leading with integrity. It's big picture. Leaving legacy is kind of my core driver. Nothing else, nothing more. Couldn't give a shit about money. So because and 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 it's a real and it's a mindset shift more than anything else. A complete mindset shift. How do you define legacy for you? What is that for you? Great question. Um, legacy to me is um being able to sort of say to myself, like, why was I why did God put me on this planet? Mm-hmm. What is why what is my purpose in life? Like mm-hmm. based on what do you enjoy based on your core values and looking at kind of like what are the what is what are your audience or your clients or your customers what are they actually what are they crying out for mm-hmm. what is their big pain points that you could help them with you know so based on uh my you, you know your core interests as well is going to depend on and, and it's the same for some of your listeners right if you are on a path of discontent I can guarantee you it's going to be, it will get worse and worse and worse. Right. Unless you change because everyone has choices, right? But guess what? You have to make that choice. No one can make that choice for you. I, I think so, we just feel like, and I don't know if it's a societal thing or what, but I mean, you know, I, I think, because I know I've been on both sides of this equation, right? I've been on the, I've been on that, on that side of not feeling aligned at all. And, uh, you know, Again, I, I don't want to blame it on society because there's people who figure it out and there's people who don't, I guess. But <laughs> there is kind of this thing of like, again, going back to the just just work hard, right? Just 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 keep going, man. It'll it'll all work out, right? Maybe it, it's a bump in the road. It's a it's a you're just you're just out of sorts for right now, but like just just pound through it. Like keep making money, keep doing whatever. And it's like like to your point, it's like, no, it, it's getting worse, right? I, I, I'm getting further yeah. apart from my North Star, right? I'm going off to the East or the West, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because again, your the purpose changes. When you get older, your purpose changes in life. Right. Money doesn't become a, a, a main factor. Other things does. Other things become important to you. I'm sure that's the same for yourself, right? Other right. things become important. You've got grandchildren and stuff like that. Right. So your so so the way you're being using your experience and wisdom that has completely changed, and the way that you offer your USP to to your core audience and stuff like that. So, you know, um, with regards to your question, what is legacy? It is literally kind of asking very specific questions to your subconscious with regards to why am I doing what I'm doing? What's important? What, you know, uh, what's the purpose? Where does it lead to? Where am I going to, what's my vision? That's going to be important. What's the vision? Mm. And where do I see myself in the next 10 years? And where do I see myself after I passed along? What do I want to be remembered for? And what are the feelings do I want to give people in terms of like when I pass away, even when I'm not in the room, what do you want them to say about you? Right. Is this one of the areas where you guys really get involved in, in what you do with your consultation, with, you know, consulting mm. and coaching and all that? Absolutely. Because again, what I find with a lot of people that run businesses, even leaders, is that the core foundation to running a successful business, to being a great leader, it's all 
to do with clarity. Because if you don't have a roadmap for success, if you don't have a GPS compass, if you don't know what direction you're going to go in, you can go in a million different ways and they might not be able to lead you to a happy path. But if you uh, understand and you get some clarity on what you're doing in terms of activity wise, in terms of like what you're doing, you know, and really kind of assess where you are. And this is all about self-awareness. If you're hmm. aware of your, no, I wouldn't say, uh, yes, your strengths, but also room for improvement, right? If you know that, you know, because it's a path, right? It's, it's a journey, right? There, there, there is never a, an end goal. There's always a continuous room for improvement, right? So, totally. You know, in the U.S. Army, they teach you that, right? They, they teach you and they drill that in you, right? They push you, especially in the Marines. So they give you and they drill you that into your mindset. And that's what's going to help you move the needle that little bit further. And there's a lot of mentors out there in the leadership um, realm. But I think it was Jim Rohn that said this. But the idea is, is that every day, wake up saying that you need to make a 1% improvement in your life every single day, and you will be in a much happier place. Because either you're, you're growing or you're dying. Right. You can't stay in the right? You can't plateau. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, so yeah, nothing stays still and, and 1% a day compounded is ridiculous growth, right? Like it's just crazy. It doesn't feel like much in the moment, but it's, it's ridiculous over time. Tell me, because mm -hmm. I like to, whenever I'm hearing someone talk and I don't know if it's because I'm auditory, but, um, <laughs> I also like to tie it in. I like, I like chronological order. So when did you have kind of this, uh, epiphany or or wake up, um, how many years ago was that, that, that where you were like, Hey, I don't know if I'm on the right path or not. And, and had to, had to yeah, work that out. I reckon I was probably in my early thirties. Mm -hmm. So probably talking about, uh, eight to 10 years ago, I would say, um, yeah, it's probably about 10 years ago, but then it took a good 18 months, couple of years to figure everything out from a clarity piece. And, you know, for some people, the working out clarity could take a month. Right. But for others, it could take years. I know people, I know a lot of business owners, small, big uh, leaders as well. You know, they they just go on this pathway and, you know, it's like you brought up a mindset, the mindset of, oh, it's just going to work out okay. That's a mindset, right? That's a mindset that you believe. It's a belief system that you believe in, mm -hmm. okay? If you go around believing that everything's just going to work out fine, I can guarantee you it will have completely the polar opposite. Mm. Completely yeah. the polar opposite. Yeah. Because it's like, yo, you want the universe to sort out your problems? No. Right. You have to sort your problems out. You have to sort your challenges out. Do you right. know what I'm saying? So Manifestation will, will get you nowhere without taking massive action, right? I mean, 100%. Uh, yeah, manifestation is a result of the universe conspiring with you, not for you, I think, necessarily. I mean, I think you've got to be a co-creator co in, in your own future. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. How did you get, um, I know you're a big advocate for like women in the workplace and like, where did that fit in and where did that come from? And was it during this same time frame? And if I'm, and if I'm jumping ahead in the story, just wrap me back around. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. So it's a good story. I got another good, I'm full of good stories today. Cool. Um, so believe it or not, I, um, about probably about, yeah, about eight years ago, maybe around eight years ago. No, maybe, yeah, eight, six, six to eight years ago. I was still into, I really wanted to um, get into the uh, corporate well being space effectively, right? Because again, I wanted to do speaking. Um, 
offer leadership, offer, you know, offer ways in which companies can improve their employee engagement effectively, right? So I was really into that, really very, very much into that. And so um, anyway, I lost my train of thought there. I <laughs> don't just hate that. Um, <laughs> oh, no okay, the women in the workplace, yes. yes. So interestingly enough, I came up with this innovative idea about how we as a company could get access to core decision makers. So the, I'll tell you the quick, uh, quick how it will work. So I came up with this idea, and the idea was, was that, okay, so I've got my key decision makers, and they're mainly on LinkedIn, but they're not going to, they're not going to, they don't have time to have a conversation with me and everyone's busy. Right. So I just thought to myself, I thought, how can I get access to these people? How can I have a conversation with these people? And I just thought these people must have gatekeepers. They do. Mm. So I decided to create the association of extraordinary PAs, PAs as in personal assistant or sure. executive assistants. Right. So I created this personal development uh, organization. It was completely free, by the way. Um, got sponsorship. Um, <laughs> it was a great little, uh, it was a great new idea. I, I did it for about 18 months. But the idea was, was that I built a relationship up with the PAs and, and executive assistants. We gave them some um, lessons in personal development whether it be around mindset, whether it be around productivity, whether it be around tools, resources, whatever it might be. But we effectively gave them some, some free stuff effectively, right? They'd come along, they'd get fed for free and, you know, you know, being able to have a couple of glasses of champagne and wine and that kind of stuff. And so over a period of time, I started to develop a relationship with those PAs, okay? That's where the women journey started to, 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 to really start for me. and then. I don't know, for some particular reason, it's like you, you may have kind of come across this, but you magnetize who you kind of like, uh, you know, if they like you, what you're about in terms of your core values, I then started to not get physically attracted, but they were kind of magnetized towards me. The women started to be mm. magnetized towards me because they could see what I could offer them as a resource. So I started off with working with women mainly in the professional uh professionals you know uh, those gatekeepers that would introduce me to their bosses and then it started transitioning into women that uh ran their own companies run their own businesses small and large and then i started um just kind of supporting them because you know men and women are very different the way that we're wired um you would have probably read the book men are from mars women are from venus type of thing and so um you have just being able to use certain skills where women can take the skills from men and vice versa. We can learn off each other so that we can be better leaders, better entrepreneurs and things like that. So that's kind of how I got into the whole kind of like women's space. And I ended up getting on the front cover of Global Woman magazine and they did a massive thing with me on that. So that was kind of cool. That's um, really but, cool. So that's kind of where it's at. I yeah. have this theory, uh, you know, and and uh, it's probably not too far fetched, just based on your background. But I mean, I think that even though it shouldn't be this way, I mean, it's 2023 for God's sakes. But uh, you know, <laughs> women are underrepresented in certain industries, right? And at times, yep. um, um, it can feel like a boys' club, depending on the you know the job or the space or whatever. And I think, you know, you were the 11 year old with your hair falling out with asthma with, you know, and I, and I think you were the underdog, right. And I kind of feel like there's probably that part in you. That's always like, you see an underdog, you're going to gravitate there. And I think that's probably why they were attracted back to you is like, here's a guy that 
kind of gets where we're coming from a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. And you know, you're, you're absolutely bang on. I, I suppose you would class me as a bit of an underdog really. And, but the, you know, you can learn so many lessons, you know, when I was an athlete, I'd learned so many mindset hacks, for example, right? You were in the US Army. There is a lot of things that you can take from a leadership perspective, from a, a mindset attributes perspective and bringing it into business. There's just so much that we guys can offer, not just leaders and entrepreneurs, but we can offer so much because, again, we have that. We've been there. We've experienced it. Whereas some entrepreneurs that are kind of new to the game or maybe they've maybe we've got listeners in that have maybe finish their business, right? Or sorry, finish corporate and then they've opened that business, right? That's a complete transition shift, right? There's a lot of things that you have to learn, not just about running a business, but, you know, your biggest enemy, your biggest competition is you, right? You are the main, you are the main spanner that holds a business back generally. Yes. I coach uh, kind of more in our space, which uh, Leaders Lab is really a leadership recruiting company. So we place leaders in, in jobs. And then nice. I'm a coach and kind of a worldwide uh, recruiters group. And yeah, mindset is, you know, it's always mindset. It's like 80% of it is, is just mindset. It's all, all the entrepreneurs that say they want to be their own boss, uh, which, which is weird because if you ask someone, why do you want to be your own boss? Probably the number one answer would be freedom. And being free and being a boss are almost like polar opposites of each other, right? I want to be free, <laughs> but I want to be my own boss. Well, if you want to be your own boss, Technically, shouldn't you be telling yourself what to do, right? Shouldn't you be showing up and be like super disciplined and be like maybe even tougher on yourself than you would somewhere else? But literally people freeze sometimes when they leave that corporate environment and into like, oh my God, I've got to self-direct now, you know? Um, yeah, I think it's super cool. I also think, you know, whatever that underdog story is, whether it's somebody who, who again, grew up as a kid and, and had some of the things that you went through or somebody that had a drug problem or somebody that was in trouble with the law or somebody that, you know, you know, lost 150 pounds. It's like, I actually want to learn from people who have been there and done that. Right. Like I, I think that, you know, and, and we can all learn from each other in a variety of different things. But I guess what I'm saying is in a leader, I don't necessarily want someone who's always had all the answers and always done well. Right. I want someone who goes, you know, I've been exactly where you were. In fact, you know, might have even been a little tougher or a little bit different. And here's what happened, right? Not, Absolutely. I've always been on top and you should be like me. Like that, that, that is an old way of, of thinking that isn't super effective anymore, you know? And probably never was. I agree. I think uh, with a lot of people, especially in social media space in particular, is that we create this perception in our mind that everyone's doing so well and that kind of stuff. But under the, under the belly of it all, it's not such a pretty story because there's right. always adversity. There's always challenging. There's always resiliences. And, you know, it's the same with our mastermind group. You know, the reasons why we want to give our members, our, our you know, our edge is like you just picked up a really good point. We want to learn from people that have been there, done that, got the T-shirt. They've been through the adversities. They've been through the the hard times. But, you know, when we... When you uh, when you get useful insights from people that have been there, done that, uh, with people that are kind of like um, what's the word I was looking for? People that have already achieved what you're wanting to achieve. Okay, then it kind of sets you apart from everybody else because again, you're getting insight, you're gaining 
a an accelerated learning module yes. or a kind of like it's kind of like university but on 10 levels higher in entrepreneurship so that to me is kind of like absolutely 100 percent imperative yes it gives I, you think, I think that, that old phrase you know find a mentor and model them right is what you're talking about and mm -hmm. it's like it's just why reinvent the wheel? And it's funny, I've had to learn that lesson repeatedly because there's times I'm just like, you know, it's almost like, why don't you just pull over and ask for directions? It's like, I'll figure it out. Like, even though it's going to take three times longer, you know, um, I've gotten better as I've gotten older with it. So talk to us now about, I know that you are very involved in helping businesses scale quickly, grow quickly. Can you talk to us about that and, and kind of what your day-to-day -day mission is now? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, as you said, uh, we love to to help companies grow. One of the things that we've identified as working with a lot of, um, so we mainly work with uh, people in the professional services industry. So that'll be your recruitment firm, that'll be mm -hmm. your lawyer, attorney, accountant, CPA, that kind of stuff. And what we found is that a lot of the clients that we're dealing with are hugely experienced. They got huge amounts of credibility. They've got degrees and PhDs, you know to your heart's content okay they're good at what they do right mm -hmm. um but unfortunately um with some of the clients that we work with is they'll they'll build their business up and then they've then they'll just plateau they'll just be just like plateau for like months if not years and they'll stay there because they, they their aspiration is that they want to be free they want to they want to they want to make a transition to the next level right they have this lack of clarity about that what that looks like but number 2 they don't know what the they they have confidence and knowledge they have gaps in their knowledge know-how about how to get about doing it so um, we've already talked about clarity and stuff. So what we do is we effectively have a, a, a mastermind group effectively. So we put together a, a huddle, if you like, or a small group of people, and we literally share experiences. We gain insights from other businesses, different industry sectors. What did you experience? Why did you do that? How did it make you feel? So we're able to get a, a, an idea of when we ourselves come into a situation that's similar we're more adapted and more resourceful to be able to you know kind of push through if you like does that make sense it totally so, does one of the things that i'm thinking of as you're talking is i've had some friends that have been um, like medical professionals so let's say denter a dentist or right? like a general md with a practice and I feel like the traditional and this would be like a traditional like successful like way to do business right would be um you go to medical school, maybe you go have to pay your dues at the hospital for a while, work in the ER, maybe you get some money somehow, you're still paying off your enormous uh, student loans and all that debt, but <laughs> then you eventually get out and you start your own practice. As you start your own practice, it builds up and you're making good money. So that's the dream. But within the dream, you're working like, you're probably getting back to what we talked about where, what, like this is all there is because you're working 60 hours a week or 70 right. or 80 and the money's really good. But the whole business depends on you and it's going to like completely, it's not just going to implode. It's just going to cease to exist because you're the doctor and like no one else is the doctor. So what do you do next? And it is like the definition of being on the hamster wheel. The other thing is it's not scalable. It's not sellable. So if you're, if you're lucky, I feel like in that environment, you get an understudy under you that you then train and then sell the business for less than it's worth because that's the only way to sell it. That seems to be the model <laughs> in that world. 
Am I right? What well, <laughs> kind you're, of? You're you're pretty you're pretty much bang on. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think they did a survey, um, and this only applies to the UK market or, or the, sorry, the US market. And I think it was that it, I think it was a survey of uh, it was a large amount. Of, I think it was like ten thousand business owners or whatever it is, but only four percent of those ten thousand had an exit strategy in place. Less than four percent it was. Right. So, effectively bringing up what you just said, right. It goes back to the uh, analogy of, um, again, when it comes to scaling, they lack. So there, there's a few things that they lack. Number one is they have fear, first of all, the fear of letting go, you know, because effectively, if you built something up, right, it doesn't mean even when you're a kid, right, when you're building your first Lego set, it's like, I built this, yeah. right? This is mine, right? It's yeah. kind of like my baby type thing. Same with the, same with the business, right? You build something, right? You're proud of it. You don't want to let it go and give it to somebody else, hand it over to someone, right? Because guess what? They might destroy it or take it away, right? So they have that fear. They also have this fear of, um, uh, they have this, well, it's not really a fear, but they have this skill of micromanaging. So they micromanage everyone and everything. Okay. So they'll never get out of that cycle because like you've highlighted, they don't see their wife. They don't see their, you know, they they don't know what freedom is. Right. So they, they lack this necessarily, uh, they, they lack this mindset, but they lack the necessary know-how skills right. and knowledge to know exactly what is it that we need to do? Oh, do we need to systemize? Do we need to do, uh, do we need to bring this person in? Do we need a trick? So, so it's kind of like, you know, it, we, it, every business is, is different, right? Every leader is different. Um, and, and so we have to really kind of like take that into account, into an, into an account. So that's kind of like what we're doing right now. Um, and it's very exciting because it's kind of like, there's not like a one size fits all approach. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, one thing I kind of dig about it, just as you're talking about it, I love hearing, you know, to me, business and business strategy, um, not to be cliche about it, but there's kind of a gamesmanship to it in a way. Like, I like the the act of, like, figuring it out. Like, you know, I, I love shows like, uh, what's that one on Netflix? Um, uh, it's like an about this kind of thing. And it shows you, like, how fish aquariums are made. I don't know, like, just weird stuff, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I like seeing how businesses are broken down and how they get to their number and how they grow. And so, yeah, it's always cool to be in in masterminds like that. Um, anything else for us before we wrap up? I've really enjoyed this talk. Thank you. I, I've, really, I've really thoroughly enjoyed it myself. And, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I mean it, again, it goes back to what do you want in life? Yeah. Right. What do you want in life? And and this kind of realization of my bigger purpose, my bigger impact, my my legacy, you know, really going back to, to that. Because again, whether you're a leader, whether you're running a recruitment firm, whether you're running a, a small agency, it doesn't really matter. Fundamentals don't change. Those right. basic fundamentals don't change. It doesn't matter what, where you are and what you do in life, okay? You have to answer specific questions to yourself to make sure you're on a path of fulfillment, happiness. Uh, if you're not happy where you're at, guess what? It's your fault. No one else right. is. Don't blame the economy. Don't blame Don't blame uh, the president. Don't blame who else, uh, whoever else you can think about. It's your fault and no one else, okay? So you have to fix it. So we all have choices in life, and it's down to your choices we're going to lead to whatever path you decide to go. So that's kind of my final thought. No, I love that. And, I, and again, it all comes from, from, it's such great advice, but it also comes from you. No one was coming to save you when you were 11 and selling golf balls, right? You had to find nope. a way. 
You had to sell golf balls. You had to take them back to the golfers. You had to sell in the 15th. You had to figure it out. And, and as hard as that probably was back then, that's where the gift was, right? That's what started this whole entrepreneur journey was wading through that pond back in the day. Yep. I mean, there's no pity party here, right? So it's kind of, (laughs) you need to just kind of like, you know, man or woman up and and just just do what you need to do. Or or if you don't know the answers, find someone who can help you because we've all got choices. Totally. And I know you're out there and you can help our listeners and we'll put um, all of your contact information in our show notes. Thanks a lot. Pleasure to meet you. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you.